Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we are all realizing that the quality of our air, especially our indoor air, is really darn important. In 30 minutes, Puro Air will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Sports Talk Saturday on WGR Sports Radio 550. Okay, welcome back. Hour two Sports Talk Saturday getting underway and doing it the right way because the West Her Hotline joining me now is Chris Trapasso. Chris, uh, good afternoon to you, my friend. Happy Super Bowl weekend. Are you as... Um, uh, what's the word? Uh, uninspired as I am about this game? Yeah, that's a good word. I mean, it, it is a Super Bowl, though, that I'm just going to sit back and, like, enjoy just because I don't really care who wins. It should be a fascinating uh, quarterback matchup. But, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's not anything I'm super excited to watch, um, which sometimes is the case, but not this year. I guess I just get the sense, Chris, and maybe this is just me and what I would do if I was going to bet in this game, but typically I'd like to like bet on a team that I would care to win, um, and it's not really betting from a strategic portion. It's just like, hey, I, like, I want this team to win. I'm going to bet for them so that I double down because I'm not a fan of them, so by betting for them, like I have a rooting interest. I don't even want to do that in this game, so it's just a, it's a really weird feeling for me, but... If, I just don't know how anyone feels like it's going to go any different than the matchup that we saw Tyreek Hill like go for two seventy five or whatever and three touchdowns. Like it just, uh, it, how is that not going to happen again? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good point because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, they are not shy about being a man coverage heavy, blitz heavy team. And I think if you do that to Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, even with backups at left tackle and right tackle. Uh, they're going to kill you either over the top or after the catch. Patrick Mahomes is coming off an AFC title game in which he got the football out faster than in any game since week one. So we know he can kind of play the short game as well and that the Chiefs have the talent and the athleticism in their receiver core and their tight end group to beat you after the catch. So I I don't know how the Buccaneers are going to slow down this offense enough to win this game. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I just... And not only that, Chris, but I think what we saw from that Kansas City Chiefs defense against the Bills in the AFC Championship game, Mm -hmm. that's a defense that has come a long way this year. Yeah, definitely. And I think if anyone is thinking about, hey, I think the Buccaneers could not only cover but maybe win this game because they do have all the weapons, they're going to get Antonio Brown back, Uh, I think those dime looks with those extra safeties on the field, Tyron Matthew, Juan Thornhill, I think is one of the more underrated deep middle safeties in the NFL. We know the Buccaneers like to throw it deep. Uh, so with all those defensive backs that are really clicking, they're fully in unison. Legereus Sneed, their rookie corner that plays on the inside and the outside, played safety in college. Uh, they're good in man coverage. I think they have the right 
type of personnel to match up with all the weapons that Tampa Bay has on offense. Yeah, it's listen, I mean, from an offensive, you know, just competency standpoint, from a play calling down to a execution, down to quarterback play, even as down to just like the running back and the running efficiency of both of these teams, if they want to do it, they can. It's just there's a, a lot of multiple and just a lot of different things in ways that these Two offenses can win. I mean, a lot of different, uh, a lot of different styles at tight end, at wide receiver. Both of these teams are what six? You could argue seven wide receivers deep. Yeah, very deep. And I think always in the Super Bowl, we always tend to take something away, like one or two key philosophies going into the next season that every team tries to copy. And I think if you look at these teams, and the Bills are, are already kind of there with you know adding Stephon Diggs after they had John Brown and Cole Beasley. Um, I think the biggest philosophy that we'll take from this game, even if it isn't a shootout, but just from this whole season, just get your quarterback as many weapons as possible. I mean, the Buccaneers got Rob Gronkowski out of retirement when they had Cameron Braid. O.J. Howard got hurt early in the season. They bring in LaShawn McCoy. They bring in Leonard Fournette when they had Ronald Jones. And certainly the Chiefs have a lot of weapons. So I think that is the biggest takeaway from this season and from the Super Bowl. So I know you you and I, whenever we get together on this show or golf, we're always kind of talking about free agents, moves this team can make, and this might be the most interesting year, Chris, um, going into the offseason that I can remember because this is a team with unprecedented success, at least in the last two decades. And mm-hmm. thinking about that, knowing that there are several players, I mean, most notably, Matt Milano is the guy. I think you and I both agree on the fact that, um, I think I saw you tweet, the only real way you see Milano back in a Bills uniform is if he just gets to the market and the market isn't quite what he expects it to be and he comes back and signs a one-year deal. Like, if you were to put a percentage on that how how like do you feel that his him getting a long term I think he is right in the bubble of players that would be overpaid and I think that bubble in every other offseason but COVID-19 offseason that bubble is much larger where you have 35 40 players who all get pretty grossly overpaid I think this year that bubble goes to more like 15 or 20 players that are going to get overpaid and then everyone else I think those really good free agents in years past that would get overpaid are going to trickle down into those mid-level short-term deals and if you're Matt Milano I think he fits right into that mold but if you were to put a percentage on the likelihood of him getting to the market and not getting the number or seeing the the sort of demand he thinks he's going to get and maybe deciding to come back to Buffalo on a one-year deal what do you think the percentage of that is? I would say probably 30 to 40% chance, um, which is higher, like you mentioned, than it would be in normal seasons. Usually you kind of get this feeling for a player like this, like he's going to hit the free agent market. There's going to be one team that's going to give him, like you mentioned, a gigantic contract for five years. Um, and, you know, it would be to the point where he would maybe be an overpaid player, but half of the league is over the salary cap right now. And I know a lot of players, veterans, are going to get caught to free up space. Certainly the Bills could do that as well. But it wouldn't surprise me if a 25-year-old like Matt Milano says, hey, why don't I wait until 2022 and beyond? I'll still be relatively young. I can build, you know, this team is going to be good in Buffalo. We're going to have a good defense. We're going to win a lot of games. We're going to be in prime time. We're going to be in the playoffs. I can rebuild my resume and then hit the free agent market when there's just more money to go around. It wouldn't shock me, though, if just one team like the Jaguars or even like the Patriots gives them big money. Um, 
But there's a much less chance of that happening for a lot of the reasons that you pointed out. There's just not as much money to go around. Got Chris Paso here on the West Her Hotline. You can check out his work at CBS Sports and uh, does a great podcast with Matt, uh, with our, our, our old buddy Matthew Collar, the Prospect Podcast, which you can find at Blue Wire Pods. Um, so, Chris, um, one of the things I know that has been maybe most interesting to to us has been the offensive line because mm-hmm. with as much pass blocking success as they had this year, I mean they were in my estimation probably a top ten unit in pass block mm-hmm. and pass protection, but really left a lot to be desired um, in the run game. And I think a lot of that is scheme related. But with that being said, knowing that I think a lot of people are looking at Mitch Morse as a guy that they can create some salary cap space, but I am a hard no on cutting Mitch Morse. I am all about uh, potentially restructuring, adding a year to his deal, um, and creating some cap space that way. But the Bills, I think there's there's a little bit of short-sightedness to the Bills' salary cap issues. They do have a crunch this year. But they do not have a crunch in the future, and I know that also means Josh Allen's forty potentially forty million dollar a year contract isn't included in that. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds is going to get twelve to fifteen million probably in his next contract. Ed Oliver is going to have a nice little chunk if they end up ultimately moving forward and re-signing him. So there's some guys that are going to hit the books in the next couple of years that are going to affect that. But the Bills have nearly a hundred million in cap space next year. So knowing that, how aggressive could they potentially get if they decide, hey, let's free up? 30 million this year and and backload a lot of these contracts and maybe they do get more aggressive than they think than than we maybe think they will. Yeah, that's kind of the approach that I think they're going to take. I mean, Brandon Bean came out in that post-season press conference and said like we're not going to have a Stefan Diggs type splash, but we've seen two off-seasons of Brandon Bean just go out there and sign like seven or eight mid-level to low-level free agents, most of which have turned out to be really good contributors and played their best football in Buffalo. So I think with that, it's easy to look at one offseason and say, man, like they don't have any money, but every contract can be moved around and pushed into the future. I don't think you have to be like the New Orleans Saints and, and, and you know set yourself behind in 2022, 2023. But just by releasing Mario Addison, John Brown, um, and Vernon Butler, they can save like $21 million. So like, if you are worried about the 2021 money, you're freeing up more than $20 million right there. And you're right, with all those contracts that will have to come up in 2022, um, that will eat into it. But I think Brandon Bean won't be afraid to sign four, five, six players um, just at that mid to lower level. And I think they will be able to use with a lot of these players and their agents, hey, you know, there's not a lot of money to go out there. So we we are like every other team that can't give these gigantic overpriced free agent contracts. And I think that could play into the Bills' favor to add some pieces and round out this roster. And I know it's hard to speculate this because you just don't know which teams in cap crunches are going to prioritize which players. But this might be one of those off-seasons, Chris, where you see like unprecedented movement at the mid-level veteran level, meaning you know maybe we're all way too focused on free agents in the draft and we're not focused enough about, you know, who do the Saints move on from? Um, yeah. Like and, and like a guy like Demario Davis might be a cap casualty, who's a damn good player. He, towards the end of his career, but it's like a really good linebacker in the NFL. Um, There are other players on that roster that could potentially be cap casualty, and they're not the only team. So knowing that, I I think that is one of the things that maybe gives me a little bit more confidence about what this team's going to be able to do. Because ultimately, Chris, you and I probably sit in the same camp as this 
offseason can't just be a maintainment offseason, meaning they I don't think Brandon Bean could look at this and say, I just need to get enough players to fill the gaps of the players I'm losing. I just want to maintain this because I just don't think you can expect everyone to just stay the same in the AFC, especially teams like Miami and New York with a better coach in the division. And you you know how much money New England has at their disposal if they can get a quarterback. You know, like I, I think – I think you're playing with fire if you're only trying to maintain what you had last year. So knowing that, I feel like I do feel more confident that there's going to be a lot of mid-level uh, veterans that end up being cap casualties this year, maybe more than ever. Yeah, those are two really good points. I think that it's easy at this point of the offseason, which is still pretty early, to just go onto those websites and see, okay, which guys are going to hit free agency. There is going to be an insane amount of cap casualties, so there's a lot of players that – aren't technically available right now that will be. And I did kind of like an off-season blueprint at CBS Sports a few weeks ago, and I included two very low-level guys, Kawan Short, who has ties to Brandon Bean, and Tri Turner, who has connections to Brandon Bean, that are not free agents yet, but are almost certainly going to be cap casualties, and they'll come super cheap. And, And those were just, you know, a quick glance at guys that might get caught. There are going to be a lot of them. And to your other point, Brandon Bean has been nothing but aggressive in terms of making trades, signing free agents, you know, adding a ton to the offensive line. So I think with the amount of, of cap casualties there are going to be, the amount of space that the Bills can free up by releasing some of these guys that they brought in over the past few seasons, I think we're going to see another aggressive free agency from Brandon Bean because he realizes that this team is very close to the Super Bowl but they didn't even get there, and the goal is not to just get there, it's to win one. So everything that he's done up to this point has been in this process of making the team better every year. I don't think he's going to go in and say, let's try to be as good as we were in 2020. I think he's going to want to improve this team and this roster. Chris Passo here on the West Her Hotline. Let's talk a little draft because I know that's – we both enjoy talking about this time of year. The one um, tight end position has obviously been the one, Chris, that I think everyone's focused on. Do you believe in your heart of hearts that knowing where this team is, especially offensively, do you think, are you part of the camp that just says, listen, I can't wait around for another rookie tight end to get to year three like we're hoping Dawson Knox does, right? Like, I, I think I think there are, I think there are plenty of good tight ends that you could go at. Johnny Smith, right? Gerald Everett are the two guys that I know Greg Thompson and I have really talked about wanting, right? Um, do you view this offseason as consequential at the tight end position this year because they really need to add someone that can help them today and maybe not tomorrow? Yeah, I wouldn't look to the draft for that game-changing tight end. And like you mentioned, Brandon Bean kind of brought it up in that uh, – end of season press conference like that the tight end position didn't threaten defenses and they want to change that uh i agree i think you need to go the free agent route and what's so funny and and interesting for me as a draft analyst like for the longest time i mean especially the last 20 years but really in the last four or five it's like how can the bills build through the draft get young players they're in win now they're in win the super bowl mode now like if, if there's a whether it be a cap casualty or a free agent like bring someone in who is going to compete right now and i think they kind of turned the chapter on that philosophy by trading for Stephon Diggs. They could have sat there, they could have picked Justin Jefferson, that they didn't know he was going to obviously have the season he did, but they were probably a little worried about, oh, is it going to take a season or two? We need to take off now. That's where I think they should have that same philosophy, obviously, now moving forward. Let's bring in players that are ready to contribute in a major way in 2021. I would most certainly rather go 
John New Smith or Gerald Everett than really roll the dice at, with like Pat Fryermuth from from like Penn State or something in uh, the first round. The other guy, though, I, I, right, I, the Penn State kid, and obviously everybody talks about Kyle Pitts. I think the guy that sort of fits right in between those is Brevin Jordan, and I'm wondering yep. what your overall thoughts are on him because he sort of I, – I, I understand why he probably slots behind Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts just looks like a transcendent-type talent, a guy that's going to walk in day one and have success. Of course, it's going to be based on the offense and the team and the situation that he walks into. Um, I've seen him mocked in Bucky Brooks as high as like seven, um, which would be yeah. really high for a tight end. But how, how much do you believe that maybe the positioning that Kyle Pitts goes – will maybe force the hand on where Brevin Jordan goes. Like, do you believe if Kyle Pitts ends up being a top-ten pick that Jordan probably finds his way into the first round, or if maybe Pitts falls to the mid-teens, maybe even late-teens, that maybe that's a better chance he falls to the second round? Well, I'll say this, that every year in the draft, uh, even, like, when we're one day away from the draft, there's always, like, those picks from, like, pick 28 to pick 32 where we see two or three, like, kind of -of out-of-nowhere players go in the first round, the guys that... I guess the media just doesn't pick up on that teams are really a big fan of. And I do think, to your point, Kyle Pitts goes early. That will probably push up the rest of the tight end board. And with Brevin Jordan, I think comparing him to John New Smith, obviously Brevin Jordan would come a lot cheaper. They're similar players. They're both yards after the catch guys. They're not really going to run a skinny post down the seam and threaten vertically too much. But after the catch, with their contact balance, with how powerful their lower half is, they can make cuts like a running back. If the Bills really want to feature a tight end, I mean, obviously we'll be secondary to Stephon Diggs and probably Cole Beasley, then I think John New Smith is probably the better route. But if the Bills want to save a little money, not spend a 6 to $8 million per season on Smith, Brevin Jordan is that type of kind of H-back underneath can take a throw into the flat and turn it into a 10 or 15 yard game that's the type of play that you get from Brevin Jordan I think would be a nice movable piece for Brian Dable in this offense so let's talk about replacing um Matt Milano then uh Chris and you know I kind of texted you the other day asking you about Jared Davis whether or not you think he's a player a former first round pick of Detroit I, I don't it doesn't look like with a new regime that he's a lock to be back um in Detroit he could be a potential guy with some speed that could maybe replace the athletic profile of Matt Milano but maybe not necessarily replace the production but I look towards the draft if I just don't think there's a lot of free agent options I just don't um I think you're better off running it back with like an AJ Klein than you are trying to go take a flyer on mm-hmm. you know Reuben Foster right and he's not a guy that this organization is likely going to be lining up to bring in so I look at this draft and it is a really I don't know edge and linebacker are maybe lighter than I remember them ever being in years past but the one guy that has stood out to me and I've watched him probably more I mean definitely more than anybody else in the draft so far is Jeremiah Owusu Karamoa and I'm just sort of wondering what you think his prospect is going into this draft. I, I, I think there's no way he falls to 30. Um, I, I just think that with how much I, – I think Micah, uh, uh, Micah Parsons is the only guy that's ahead of him um, going into this draft. Maybe Zavin Collins, you can make the case, the kid out of Tulsa, but he's a big boy too. Like, where do you do, – do you think at 30 they stand a chance of being able to replace Matt Milano? And do they want to draft a linebacker in the first round? Yeah, see, I normally, and like over the past year or so, have like kind of shied away from the idea of drafting a linebacker in round one because I think 
how the game in the NFL has evolved and makes it so difficult for a linebacker to really be a good instant impact player because of all the coverage responsibilities, but you're right. Patrick Queen would would verify that for you. Yes, Patrick Queen, all those first-round picks last year. Patrick Queen, Kenneth Murray. Yep. Uh, there was the one from Seattle that is. You forget. Totally, oh, listen, you forget about Jordan you Brooks. forget about Murray yeah. because he just he had a tough he had a tough rookie campaign. So and those are all three linebackers: Patrick Queen, Jordan Brooks, and Kenneth Murray. All great athletes, crazy production in college. Then they have to drop into coverage five hundred times a season, yeah. and they just have not done that. So, but at thirty, you're close to the second round. You would have a clear hole to fill if Matt Milano leaves, Awusu Karamoa would be the absolute home run pick if the Bills go defense. He is as twitchy, as smooth of an athlete, plays with reckless abandon, super fast, and he's like a safety or corner in coverage. There are plays deep down the field where you're like, was that the linebacker making a play on that? Like, that are absolutely insane. I don't know if he'll get to 30, and I'm in the school of thought, like, if the Bills do get rid of John Brown and release him to save that $8 million, that they should really go offense in round one. Like, I'd be fine if they picked a receiver um, or an offensive lineman, but if they go defense, Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa or Nick Bolton from mm. Missouri, who's a little bit undersized, maybe doesn't have the athleticism that you would want in a normal first-round linebacker, but very instinctive. I think he plays faster because he knows where to be and can get sideline to sideline because he's so good at reading his keys. Those two linebackers, I think, would make the most sense to replace Matt Milano. So the other position that I find increasingly more likely that they might really try to upgrade is the second cornerback position, Chris. And I look at this draft, and I think there's a lot of back and forth about who the top cornerback in this draft is and what the actual drop-off is over the top two guys. Who's your top corner in this draft? And do you think 30 signifies an area where they could actually go out and get a legitimate guy that can step in and start this year? And is that in in the first round with with this cornerback class, is that something you think the Bills should consider? Well, I think it's funny that we've seen the Bills pick Tredavious White at number 27 overall, and then the guy opposite them, they've just had this run-through from Levi Wallace. They tried uh, Kevin Johnson. They bring in Josh Norman. Like All these free agents or undrafted free agents out there, I think now picking late in round one like they ultimately did in 2017, I think maybe just their philosophy is that is a good time to pick a cornerback um, to fill in next to Tredavious White, it would kind of be, you know, come full circle back to taking a cornerback in the back part of round one. Right now, it, I'm kind of between just the two obvious ones, Patrick Sertan and Caleb Farley. I like Farley's athleticism a little bit more. I think Patrick Sertan is very good. He's technically sound. I think he learned a lot from his dad growing up. Um, and that's been well documented that he was training him on the footwork and the hand technique when he was like five years old. I think, though, he's going to have a little bit of problems like Trevon Diggs did from Alabama, dealing with how quick and how good guys like Devontae Adams and Stephon Diggs are beating press coverage at the line, how great their releases are. So Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech could drop you know, decently far down in round one because he didn't play. I think he's a little bit out of sight, out of mind, but he gives you the size and the twitchiness and smoothness in his lower half to stay with some of these 
wide receivers that are so good separating in the NFL. The other thing too, Chris, the last thing on corners is there there are I think they, it gets pretty deep in the second and third round where I think you can find value. Asante Samuel Jr., for instance, who's a little bit smaller. Uh, he's only 5'10", 184, but he's a guy that's going to likely be a second, third-round pick. Um, and then you, the Melifonwu kid from Syracuse, who's 6'2", 212. Like, that's a nice profile. Um, so, like, there are players. And, and the other guy, too, that I find really interesting that I think it will be available for the Bills is J.C. Horn, who... I, I like a lot out of South Carolina Junior. Um, he's another name that I think makes a lot of sense to me. I just, I there are what this conversation ultimately is probably going to bring a lot of people. Chris is the Bills could go a lot of ways at thirty. Yeah, definitely, and I think J.C. Horn is a really good name for Bills fans to know because I think he will probably be there unless, like, at the South Carolina Pro Day, he does something ridiculous athletically. Um, I like the fact that he has NFL bloodlines. I like the fact that you saw him make plays in man and zone. Um, but you're right. I, I think going corner in round two or round three would probably be better value. There's not really a name that really sticks out at number 30 overall. I would love Asante Samuel in Buffalo because he gives you uh, some flexibility to play inside in the slot. And I'm almost getting to the point with now in the NFL if a corner's a little smaller, I'm fine with that. If yep. he's super twitchy, if he's so athletic that he can stay with some of these smaller guys who can get open, I, I'm fine with plugging him on the outside. I always go back to when the Cleveland Browns drafted Denzel Ward in the top five in 2018 instead of Bradley Chubb. He's like 5'10", 185, and he's been one of the better man-to-man cornerbacks in the NFL when he's been healthy. They weren't afraid of that size. They didn't need 6'1", 210 pounds. It's almost drifting away from those bigger cornerbacks. Even Trey White is not really that big or that tall of a corner. Um, I think Sean McDermott, they will, and Brandon Bean will prioritize corner. I just don't know if they'll go that direction in round one. It would be a safe pick. It would be logical. I don't know if it would be a home run selection at pick 30. So last question for you, Chris. Um, Better year to be needing an edge rusher or an interior defensive lineman? In the draft? Yeah. Definitely edge rusher. The, the interior of defensive line, I haven't gotten through that whole position yet. Um, it's not great. There's Christian Barmore from, from Alabama who played pretty well down the stretch. There was some like talk that he could be the next Quinn and Williams. I don't think he's there. Um, but in the college football playoff, he was super disruptive. There's a few guys that are like positionally flexible, like Levi Anwazirke, um from Washington and Osa Odigazawa from UCLA. They can kind of play on the edge or inside. I, I like the edge rusher group. I know you're not as high on it. I think at pick 30 with the two guys from Pitt, Patrick Jones and Rashad Weaver, um, would make a lot of sense. And it's certainly an area where we saw, especially against the Chiefs, that the Bills, I think, were afraid to blitz Patrick Mahomes and their front four couldn't really get home. We'll ultimately know how high of a priority the edge rusher group will be for the Bills based on what they do with Mario Addison. Do they run it back with him, or do they let him go and free up about $6 million in cap space? I I think they still should add an edge rusher either way, given Jerry Hughes' age. Um, But I do like the edge rusher group um, from, like, pick 15 to pick 45 or 50. I think there will be a lot of good edge rushers that we'll look back on in a few years that went in that range. Awesome, brother. Appreciate you as always. Great insight. Let's do this again soon. I, like we, you know, it's draft season, so this is what we've got yep. to go on. Uh, I love it as always, man. Thank you for all the insight. Appreciate you.
All right, Nate. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Chris Trapasso there on the Western Hotline. I'm going to take a timeout. We've got more guests. We've got more football talk coming up next year on WGR. All right, gang, welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday. Nate Geary here. We're halfway through Sports Talk Saturday. Of course, if you missed any of our previous segments, you can go to WGR550.com, on-demand audio, and check us out there under podcasts. We're all there all day. We've got uh, Chris Trapasso, who just went up. We did some great draft talk last segment, so make sure you go to on-demand audio if you missed any of that. But let's go back to the West Her Hotline, because joining me now, Sosa Cremenges. Did I get it right? Did I, did I say it right? Because there was a lot of pressure on me, Sosa. Yeah, you did. You nailed it. And they, they say I'm not cultured. <laughs> Sosa, first and no, foremost, man, I, that, I'm glad. Now we started off on the right foot. So, Sosa, first and foremost, um, Sosa is the host of Lockdown Rams, um, which is the uh, lock, on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Of course, you know, uh, locally here in Buffalo, we've got Joe Marino, who does Lockdown Bills. Sosa does the same version, but in, in L.A. And the reason I brought Sosa on today was, I don't know if you guys noticed, there was a little bit of a trade last week where the Los Angeles Rams decided they were moving on from Jared Goff. They spent a lot to do it. And they acquired Matt Stafford. And Sosa, you were the guy that I saw most on my Twitter feed talking about and reacting. And I, I'm genuinely interested to kind of hear sort of what happened in the time between like week 14, 15, 16 to the offseason where they lose in a playoff game and ultimately move on from their quarterback. And, you know, it, it's not a non consequential move. I mean, this is, it could ultimately be a franchise altering move for them for the good because I think a lot of people agree that Matt Stafford is the upgrade in the situation. But talk a little bit about what happened, the deterioration of Jared Goff and maybe, you know, Sean McVay and that relationship, what ultimately led to, you know, him getting traded. Yeah, it's a very fascinating dynamic because, uh, you know, Sean McVay and, and general manager Les Snead were, for at least, you know, the better part of the last two, three years, were adamant that Jared Goff was a guy and, you know, they always had his back and everything like that. But, you know, going into this season, I think um, – just another form of regression for him. I think it was just starting to become tiresome. You know, you see him regress from 2018 going into 2019, and then again from 2019 going into this season, 2020. And ultimately, when you look back now, you know, on the offense and maybe even the whole team in specific, uh, and you key point and you label the quarterback, specifically Jared Goff, as the weak point, you know, the liability of everyone around him, it starts to become an issue. And, you know, the Rams obviously decided to pay him in 2019 prior to the season a lot of money. I believe it was roughly around $35 million per year. And, you know, when you give a guy that contract, you're expecting him to not only step up and start to progress, but he now needs to, you know, make up for the loss of the players that are, you know, inevitably going to happen to the roster because you paid your quarterback. Um, he's got to now pick up his play and kind of make the guys around him better. And that just didn't happen this season. And so, you know, when you look back to when he got hurt in the Seattle game, I believe it was week 16 now, he broke his thumb. He actually finished that game. His backup came in the next week in week 17, John Wolford. And Wolford is a guy who, you know, he's very mobile. He's uh, willing to push the ball downfield. And we started to see the offense actually open up in week 17 with the backup quarterback mm -hmm. in on the offense. And that's something that is obviously just completely unknown and should never be the case. Your backup quarterback should not you know, be able to run more of the offense as opposed to the starter. And I think, you know, the willingness to push the ball downfield and the mobility and those kind of things, I think, opened up Sean McVay's eyes to the possibilities that, you know, maybe he is leaving a little bit or maybe a lot of his offense on the table because of Jared Goff's flaws. And, you know, when you look back to the playoff game, the Rams elected to go with their backup quarterback 
or the guy they paid $135 million after one start in his career. And, you know, that basically signaled the end. And when you look back now, the press conferences from Sean McVay, Les Snead, postseason, they both refused to commit to Jared Goff, and that was very unlike them because they've been, you know, having his back, like, deciferously for, you know, the last couple of years. And, um, you know, that was pretty much the end. They were asked, you know, is this your guy? Are you going to commit to him on the roster? And they said, you know, we're looking to upgrade everyone on the roster and we're not going to commit to anything right now. And ultimately, that's, I guess, how uh, things folded, you know, unfolded. And, you know, I guess they viewed Matt Stafford as a guy that can help them take that next step and be that franchise quarterback. And so they made the move. So answer me this, and I'm going to ask you to speculate here. Is this move made if if Matt Stafford in particular is not available? Let's just say... Detroit, Dan Campbell comes in and Matt Stafford's like, I love this guy, I love the kneecap thing, like I'm going, I'm I'm riding this back, I'm finishing my career in Motown. If that happens, is Jared Goff the quarterback in LA in twenty twenty one? You know, I don't think he would be. Um Interesting. They, they suggested yeah, they, there was some big media um in the NFL that suggested that if the Rams cannot trade Jared Goff, I believe this was from Ian Rappaport, actually, they're going to have an open quarterback competition going into the offseason between Goff and the backup John Wolford. And, I mean, that, that's just not possible. You're, yeah. you're not going to have a $135 million guy on, on the bench. And, I mean, if you're already thinking about potentially benching this guy for a guy who started one NFL game in his life and, you know, is his backup who's making $900,000, that's the beginning of the end. And so, you know, I think the Rams would have been happy to go into the season with John Wolford and maybe – Another veteran, maybe someone like a Tyrod Taylor kind of guy, but um, you know, ultimately, this is a team that I won't say doesn't value first-round picks, but is clearly not afraid to go make the move. We've seen it, you know, year after year, from Jalen Ramsey two first-round picks last season to now, and um, you know, I guess they viewed Stafford as a guy that's going to allow them to open up that offense, and I ultimately agree and think that it was a smart move by uh, the front office. Well, considering, too, I mean, the age, I mean, you guys mortgaged, I would say, some of the future in order to win now with Matt Stafford, who's 32 years old. I mean, he's not young anymore. He's had a lot of injuries. He's taken a lot of hits over the course of his career. I think he's, is he 32? Is he 34? Um, regardless, he's, you know, young, mid to young 30s um, for a guy who's 26 years old. I mean, that is a, that is a major, that's a major leap. Um, does that at all play in the backs of, you know, maybe Rams fans' mind that like, hey, you know, I, I we like this move for right now, but we could be sacrificing potential future success. And the only reason I think that is Jalen Ramsey is a young guy. Jalen Ramsey is going to be on this team for the next five, seven, eight years. How long is Matt Stafford going to be around playing at the level that's, you know, worthwhile for them and, and they're actually getting the benefit of, of that trade? So, like, ultimately, are, do, do you think this is – Less need very much signaling we are in win now, and if we can't win now, who cares about five years from now? You know, I think it is to some degree. Um, and what's funny enough is Matt Stafford, I think, just turned 33 this week or is turning 33 this week. So, um, like you said, you know, they are mortgaging some of that future for sure for the immediate success. But at the end of the day, um, you know, they said the same things in 2018 that the Rams were in a win now mode and they have two years, and in two years, they're going to have to blow it all up. and here we are again. You know, they just uh, won another playoff game. They made the playoffs once again. And, you know, you are correct for sure that to some degree that they are mortgaging some of this future, you know, on a veteran quarterback, a guy who's probably not going to hang around very long. My guess is, you know, they can at least get two years out of him from that contract at minimum. And if he's interested in continuing to play, you know, you see guys like Drew Brees, Tom Brady, guys that lasted, you know, close to their 40s or even into their 40s. And so I'm not suggesting that Stafford is going to want to play necessarily until 40, but this is a guy who has a lot of arm strength. Bills fans are going to know what that's like watching Josh mm-hmm. Allen. Um, you know, he's probably going to 
deteriorate maybe a little bit slower than a lot of guys just because he has so much advantage when it comes to his arm. And, um, you know, so as long as, you know, he's willing to stay, I believe the Rams are going to be happy to at least give him that job for, you know, the foreseeable future. But I do think that when you look at guys like Aaron Donald, 29 years old, you know, closing in on 30, um, you look at the defense last year, the number one defense in football, I think they just viewed the quarterback spot as a liability and, this is their window, and you know they're going to try to capitalize. And uh, I can't necessarily disagree. And it's fun watching a team win, you know, double-digit wins every season, go to the playoffs. Ultimately, it's probably going to come back to bite them at some point. But so far, they've done a good job, you know, drafting in the middle rounds and and refreshing their talent on the roster with young players, whether that be through you know the draft or free agency or the waiver wire even. And they've done a good job balancing a high-end roster with guys that are getting paid a lot of money, like Aaron Donald and Ramsey, and then guys that are playing for cheap but still performing well. So, you know, ultimately this is probably going to come back to them at some point in the future. But for now, it definitely looks like they think that their window is open and they're going to try to capitalize. Sosa Kremenges here, host of the Lockdown Rams podcast, joining us here on the West Her Hotline, talking some Rams football. And Sosa, the other thing I wanted to kind of ask you about is the the pending free agents on on your team. And and one guy that, you know, I think Bills fans have started to dial in on, and and it's particularly because of what Bills general manager Brandon Bean talked about at nauseum um, in his postseason press conference was needing more from the tight end position. And Gerald Everett is kind of the guy that I'm looking at. I know a lot of Bills fans really have their eye on Jonu Smith. I just think, you know, maybe Gerald Everett gives you almost everything Smith gives you, but maybe slightly um, less on the salary cap, which we know every team, over half the teams in the NFL right now, are over the salary cap going into the offseason. But the Bills aren't one of them, but they are in a, in a, in a, in a cap crunch. Tell me a little bit about Gerald Everett. Um, I, I think mostly both tight ends in, in the offense in L.A. the last two years have been pretty underutilized. Um, but what is a team that might be going out and signing a Gerald Everett getting? Um, and is there, do you think, some untapped potential that he just wasn't able to see in that offense based on all the weapons? I do think that that's the case. So Everett was the first pick by Sean McVay as a head coach in 2017. They traded back in the second round. I believe, ironically enough, actually with the Bills. Um, they traded back in the second round. And they drafted Gerald Everett, I believe, was 45th overall. And this is a guy who, you know, moonlights as as a big receiver, as they call him, you know, a slot receiver type. Um, essentially, a pseudo receiver. He's a very good after the catch threat. Uh, he's a guy who I think has a lot of untapped potential. And like you mentioned, the Rams, for whatever reason, haven't utilized their tight end position a lot in the offense. Tyler Higby, not a guy who, you know, seen the ball a ton. Gerald Everett, again, once again, same thing. Um, and the Rams ultimately drafted a tight end in the fourth round last year, Bryce Perkins, or sorry, Bryson Hopkins. And um, that is a similar style of player to Everett, so we can assume that the Rams are going to be moving on, essentially, especially when you consider how bad they are on the cap right now. Now, as, as for Everett, you know, I think he's a solid route runner. Uh, he's got good hands. And like I said, I think the best part of his game is the ability to catch the ball and then create yardage after the catch. He's very good in that regard. Uh, similar to Johnny Smith, both guys were very, very productive with the ball in their hands. And uh, he's got a lot of speed. He can be a mismatched weapon. And I think that's something that the Rams maybe regret, maybe not, but something that they definitely didn't tap into is that, you know, this is a guy who you can flex out wide against a safety, against a linebacker, whatever it may be. And he's going to cause some mismatch opportunities. He's going to be a problem for defenses to defend. Uh, I think he's a guy who can, you know, line up wide, out wide. He can line up in the slot. He's not your traditional tight end. He's not really going to put his hand in the dirt and, you know, line up next to a tackle and get down and dirty in the running game necessarily. He can do it, but, you know, that's not the strength of his game. And I do think that there's definitely some untapped potential there, and I do think that, you know, if someone's willing to utilize him a little bit more in the passing game and just get a little bit more creative with that position, 
uh, that we can see him kind of take that next step in his potential. So the other guy that I'm I'm maybe most interested in just from a uh, what he's been able to do this year is Leonard Floyd, um, who completely and at like 180'd his value um, by signing the deal in Los Angeles after what I think everyone would agree was a really disappointing start to his career in Chicago. But listen, you know, being a, a hand in the ground guy next to uh, right next to Aaron Donald, I mean, it, it, that's as good of a spot to rebuild your value as Leonard Floyd or anybody could ever want from the from an edge position. Talk to me about whether or not you believe that wherever Leonard Floyd goes, he's going to have similar or maybe even if it's just a small step down, but that you believe the type of player that we saw in 2020 is the type of player that another team can expect? Or or do you believe that maybe a team is going to be playing with fire there, um, signing him to a potentially large deal, and maybe not getting nearly the production that we saw him have in 2020 on that defense? Yeah, it pays to play next to Aaron Donald, right? Um, you look at Dante Fowler, who the Rams traded for two years ago, goes on to sign a big money deal last year Oof. with the Atlanta Falcons right. free agency due to the Aaron Donald effect. And now you see it happen again with Leonard Floyd. And, um, you know, I would be very reserved, very cautious about who you're getting there. You know, he is a solid player. I think he's an elite run defender. I don't know if there's an edge defender in football that sets the edge like Leonard Floyd does right now. Um, he's very long, very strong. He's just very good at setting the edge and holding contain on the end there. But when you look at his pass rushing abilities, you know, I still think even with his 10.5 sacks this past season, that he left a little bit to be desired. I mean, he has a lot of pass rushing snaps under his name, specifically this past season, and they weren't very high-quality sacks. There was a lot of clean-up sacks. Um, you know, obviously Aaron Donald is going to get double, triple-teamed more often than any other player probably on defense, and that's going to open up things for Leonard Floyd and guys like Leonard Floyd. They're going to go against, you know, lesser-talented guys. They might go against tight ends on certain snaps. Uh, the Rams and defensive coordinator Brian Steely love to run all kinds of exotic blitzes, and stunts up front, so it wasn't like a lot of one-on-one, me versus you, let me, you know. I think we lost Sosa there right at the end, of course, right at the end of the segment. Um, Corey, do me a favor, give him a shot back. Well, we're going to go to break now, but give him a shot back, let him know that we appreciate. Uh, I, that was a great segment. I'm, I'm upset that it ended in such a... Uh, anticlimactic way but we'll we'll reconnect with Sosa and uh and go from that route but we appreciate uh Sosa and his uh and his thoughts and and, and listen I, I think the the Rams are a really interesting team because they do offer several players that are going to be uh UFAs this season that the Bills could be looking to add on their own team of their own so all right quick timeout I've got two timeouts to get into this uh this segment here this this final 10 minutes Del Reed joins us at one o'clock we'll talk a little bit more about the Super Bowl Del so that's coming up next here on Sports Talk Saturday at WGR You know, this is the redheaded stepchild uh, segment, as you all know. Did you know? Have you seen the movie Black Klansman? If you haven't, please go see it. I this is uh, I, is, is this with Adam Drivers in it? I believe Adam Drivers in it. Okay, this is a Spike Lee uh, joint, joint. I believe. Yes, I have not seen it. No, I have it not. is out effing standing. It was, it was an Oscar Oscar nominated, yeah, right? And yeah, and it's on Hulu. Sure. Or maybe Amazon Prime. Any one of, those any one of these streaming services rent that it. now cost more than one. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, rented. It. it is absolutely outstanding. The only reason I'm bringing that up is this morning, we, me and my girlfriend are sitting in bed. She's scrolling on on her thing. She goes, 
oh my god and i go like like what what's what's going on and we have this all, like either either we're in bed and she's scrolling on you know instagram and we then are like oh this is what we're making for dinner tonight sure um but this time it was she's, oh my god she's breaking down the game tape <sighs> i wish um no she's scrolling through and she goes wait a second did you know that the the main actor from black Klansman, and there's another movie that he's in too is denzel washington's son shut up and i said Wait, 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 wait. No. And I, sure as, sure as heck. Listen. It is Denzel Washington's son. It's, I am super thankful that Denzel Washington looks like crap now because I, like, he's old and he looks like it. And I am finally deeply appreciative yes. of the fact because he looked great In for his a long 50s. time. Yeah, he was and, looking sexy it's right and now he looks like we all feel yes and like yes. that is i mean he's a man of it's the important people. it's Absolutely important for that important. to happen culture it's like what was that one movie flight was that was that the movie mm-hmm. that he was in that was like five years four years ago and he looked like he was 35 that's right and now he's he's got a new movie coming out where he plays a cop and, and he looks old he he looks old did the work to look the part regardless oh okay and he also the reason i brought this up he's also the main character in tenant the new movie that is basically Inception, but it's harder to understand. Right. Um, but either way, but I watched Tenet. If I, I think I'm probably going to have to watch Tenet three to five more times to understand any of it. Um, Classic Christopher Nolan. Black Klansman is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Good. Good to one hear. of the best movies I've ever seen. So make sure you go see it. And it's Denzel Washington's son. All right. I digress. Time out. Del Reed on the other side here on WGR. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them, with more coming in. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future in vehicles, and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you, a hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places.